about the church in Cincinnati that was having a, a committee that was looking for a pastor. That's how he told us that in staff meeting as well. And we, were, we all sat there like, what? Uh, but then he finished it and said he was just helping them to find uh, some direction and get some direction for their church. And, and we're grateful that, uh, that he has that kind of platform, that he is able to reach out and to help other churches and other ministries to, uh, to be successful. And uh, we're grateful for his leadership here. And uh, as you see this morning, our new lights are up. And uh, we are grateful for these new lights, but I just wanted to let you know this coat is not plugged in. Uh, this is the way it normally looks, so uh, it, I cannot turn it off. This is, this is what you get. And uh, we are just uh, grateful for what God is doing here in this place and uh, the blessings that are here and how God works. And it's great. Uh, as, as we are here longer, uh, we get to meet more people and we see you outside of this place. And forgive me uh, if there are times that uh, you look at me like you know me and I look at you like I don't know who you are. Um, and, uh, and, uh, but just uh, we, we are grateful for being here and, and getting to know people and, and stories behind people. And it's always great to know and to hear people's stories and to hear how they got here and, and what brought them here to this place. And, and uh, some, some people, they enjoy being in the spotlight and some people, they enjoy being in the background. And, uh, but everybody has a story and it's always interesting to hear uh, those stories of people's lives. There are, there are some things that I'm really grateful for that I get to live in 2018. Like, wouldn't you agree that uh, you, you watch uh, documentaries of people that lived in the 1800s and you're thinking, thank God I did not have to live in the 1800s. Um, I like indoor plumbing and all of those things. Uh, but there are some people that you, that sometimes that you think, man, I wish we didn't have all of the technology. I wish we could shut things down for just a little bit. I think, I wish we could, you know, turn that off or I'm glad we have that uh, thing. But um, one of the things that, that I appreciated about my growing up was the fact that we had radio. Now, uh, the internet was not really a thing when I was a kid, but we had the radio and you would tune in, if you remember when you were a kid, uh, you would tune into certain radio programs every week it would come on and you could not wait to hear that program. Some of, some of you are old enough to remember the shadow knows. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But every week there would be the shadow would come on as a radio program and you would listen to the shadow. Some of you, you uh, would recognize maybe as my, my grandfather did all the time, he always listened to AM radio. <laughs> and I always wondered why he listened to that fuzzy AM radio when FM radio came in so clear. What was it about the fuzziness of AM that he enjoyed? I never knew. But he always listened to a radio station called WJR out of Detroit. And some of you may have listened to that station yourself, and you would, you, maybe you listen to it now, but he would listen to WJR. And on WJR, there would come a program, and it was called, and now you know the rest of the story. And you would know that that is Paul Harvey, if you've ever listened to that radio program. And Paul Harvey, he would get on and he would tell us, the rest of the story. And Paul Harvey tells this, that there was a man by the name of Eli. And Eli, he was, this was in the 20s, and Eli, he was not doing well in his industry, and he was really, really suffering. And Eli, he was, 
getting to the point where he was so poor that he didn't even have food to bring to lunch, he would simply bring a cheese sandwich and he would put it on his desk and he would eat it throughout the day as he would work. And one day, this little mouse, little gray field mouse, came into his office and it was so hungry or so not afraid of humans that it came right up and sat on his desk and looked at him. And taken back, Eli, he looks at this little mouse and he says, little mouse, I don't have anything for you. And then he looked over at his cheese sandwich and he thought, well, maybe I'll give this little mouse a bite of cheese sandwich. And so he literally pulled off some of his cheese sandwich and he held it out to the mouse and the mouse eventually came over, grabbed the cheese, went back to the corner of the desk and ate the cheese and then scurried off the desk. The next day, the mouse came back and sat on the desk and the man, Eli, gave the little piece of cheese to this mouse, and every day this became a habit, in such that the mouse became so friendly that there were times that the mouse literally would lay in Eli's hand and fall asleep. Well, Eli got to the point where he could not do, he could not think of life without this mouse, and so he named this mouse Mortimer. And so Eli and Mortimer became fast friends, but eventually Mortimer... Eli realized that he did not even have a cheese sandwich to bring to him, and so he thought he needed to take him someplace and give him something better. And so Eli drove out of town to a wooded area where Mortimer could live, and Eli and Mortimer, they looked at each other, and Eli set Mortimer down in the woods and let Mortimer scurry off into the woods. Mortimer was embedded in Eli's mind. And Eli began to draw pictures of Mortimer as he remembered him. And today we know and have been iconicized Mortimer. His name is Mickey Mouse. And Eli's name was Walter Elias Disney. And it's interesting to see and hear the story behind how everything happened. And we're going to look at a story today in, in John chapter number 6. So if you take your Bible and turn to John chapter 6. Again, this is not a story that I believe that you all are going to look at and say, I have never heard this. Many of you have heard this as a, since you were a child in, in uh, elementary uh, Bible classes and vacation Bible schools. And it is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. But I want to look at this story today and see if we can't pull a couple of truths from it. Something that we've seen, we've looked at this story, we've seen this story, and, and maybe as we go through this, we will see that um, there is more to this story. And so I want to ask you to see if you can't see the rest of this story. So in John chapter 6, in verse number 1, it says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him. Because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when Jesus was lifted up his eyes, when Jesus lifted up his eyes, sorry, and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread, that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? 
And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples. And the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the, the fragments that remain, that nothing may be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets, and the fragments of the barley loaves which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. And so we see that this miracle, and we understand this miracle, and the importance of this miracle as you read and you study this miracle, you will see that this is one of the very few miracles that is in all four Gospels. And we believe that it's in all four Gospels because of the importance of this miracle. This wasn't something that just happened that as you read some of the Gospels, you'll see a story that isn't in the others. This was so embedded in the minds of the disciples that every one of them wrote this down for us to see for the rest of eternity. This miracle was something that was, was absolutely amazing. And if you look back in Matthew chapter number four, sometimes we read John chapter six and we think that the, that the people, the, the crowd came in the evening time. But if you jump back in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 14, Matthew chapter 14, This miracle, I'm just trying to set the scene for you, this miracle happens on the heels of John the Baptist being killed. In verse number 13 of Matthew chapter 14, and when Jesus heard of it, this was that John the Baptist was killed. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence uh, by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him. So we see that this, this miracle happened. It was something that Jesus, he was so wounded by John the Baptist being killed that Jesus said, I've got to get away from this. I need some time by myself and understand that it is okay for us to have some time to step back and say, I just need healing today. I just need healing in my life because if we don't have it, we can't give it. And Jesus had to have some time where he had to step back. But when he did step back, a multitude heard that Jesus was there and they came and Jesus began to see them and he had compassion on them. And oh, that we would have compassion on people. It's amazing how we can walk by people. We can see people in need and we don't have compassion on those people. It ought to be that us as Christians, that we as followers of Christ, they know us by our love and they see us and they see our compassion and they say, you must be a Christian because of how you treat people. It ought to be, it's, I, I love holding the door for people. If you'll, when you're out here and you go through the door, if I'm in front of you, I'll hold the door for you. It is amazing to watch people that put their hand on the door thinking that I may slam it on them as they walk through. Like they're just not sure. Am I, are you, are you going to hold it for me or are you going to let it go just as I get in the door and so it hits me in the face? No, I'm, I'm just holding the door because I want to. Having compassion on people in little ways and as you watch, it's amazing to see how people react to your generosity, to your kindness and to your compassion. And this is what was happening at this time with Jesus is that people saw what Jesus could do, and so they went out to him, and they gave to him 
all of their problems. And don't you love it when people give you their problems? We, this morning, we walked around and when Pastor Matt said to shake hands, we walked around and we shook hands and said, how are you doing? And what did we all say? We're doing fine. Doing fine. But how many of us are really doing fine? Or how many of us really have problems that we wish we could sit down across the table from somebody and just say, you know what? I'm not doing fine. I think of all the families who have sent their kids off to college. If you were a mom or dad that you have sent your kids off to college in the past, you know that feeling. It's something that you think, boy, I'd like to talk to somebody who understands. Neil and Leslie Black just married off their daughter. I don't know what it's like to marry off my daughter. My daughter's been living with me all of their life, and now all of a sudden, you have to give them to some young guy that isn't going to take care of her as well as you're going to take care of her? All those emotions and all those feelings that we have in our life that we really wish that we could just go to somebody and say, hey, here's, here's how I really am. Here's what I'm really dealing with. Here's what's really going on in my life. Do you care? And they knew that Jesus cared. They knew that Jesus would have compassion because as they went out, Jesus saw them and they, he healed them and he began to touch their bodies. And as he was doing this, not only did he see their needs that they had at the moment, he anticipated a need they were going to have in the future. And so he went to his disciples and he said, hey, let's get them some food. Now imagine this morning if uh, I go a little long-winded and it's about one o'clock and Oscar looks at his wife and he says, hey, babe, could you go get some food for everybody? She would look at Oscar and she would say, you go get it yourself. <laughs> How do you come up with food for this group of people right here? Let alone 5,000. And this 5,000, we understand, is just the men. They just counted the, the head of the household. And so there were women and children, as we see in Matthew chapter 14, there were women and children that were there as well. So there were well over 10, 15,000 people here. So as the disciples looked out, they looked out across this mass of people and Jesus said, hey, why don't you go get them some food? And immediately the disciples go to, what can I do? Isn't that what we do? Hey, let's go out to eat tonight. Let's, let's, let's go give that family that's in need. Let's go give them something. I don't, I don't have any money. I don't, at, right now, I, I just don't have. And that's what the disciples did, is they began to look among themselves and go, Wait, do you, you don't have any money. I don't. Jesus, if we had a year's salary, we would not be able to buy enough for everybody to just have a little bit. And so many times we depend upon what we can do rather than the disciples were standing there all day long watching Jesus heal people and touch people, cast out demons, raise them up so they could walk, get them so that they weren't sick anymore. They watched him heal anybody and they never went to Jesus and said, we can't do it, but we think, we've never seen you do this before, but can you do something? <clears throat> like, is there something that you can do? Is there, is there a way that you could provide something? We remember back at that marriage feast that you were at. Now, there was water there, and you turned that into wine for them. And we don't have anything, but 
could you do something? It never crossed their mind to go to Jesus to get him to have input on the problem. They just simply said, Jesus, why don't we send them away? And isn't it a whole lot easier to send somebody with problems away than it is to deal with those problems? But what if we cared enough to deal with the mess that life brings, with the problems that life brings? And we look at ourselves and we think, just as the disciples did, where am I going to get food, let alone give them food? So let's just send them away. Let them worry about themselves. I'm going to worry about myself. We're all going to be good, and we'll take care of the problem on our own. And Jesus said, nope, I don't want you to do that because Philip, Philip, specifically, what are you going to do? Philip looks at him and goes, Jesus, I, I can't do anything. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't have the ability to do anything. And so many times there are problems that come specifically to us that we wish that would go to somebody else, but Jesus has brought them to our lap for us to deal with them. Andrew comes along, and I think it was almost, sometimes we, we over-spiritualize the people that are in the Bible, we over-spiritualize the disciples, and I think that Andrew, he was, he was walking around the group, and he saw this little boy with this lunch. Now think about this for a second. There's a little boy who has gone all day, his mom gave him some food, and a man comes up to him that he does not know and goes, hey, what are you doing with that food? My lunch. What do little boys that have something that they don't want to share with somebody do? It's mine. Bring your lunch here. So Andrew takes the little boy over to, over to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, I found this little kid with a lunch. But what is it amongst so many? You see... Sometimes we look at the things we have and we don't anticipate that it's going to meet the needs that we have. But we always discount Jesus. When we have problems and difficulties in our life, we, have, we, we look at what we have rather than what Jesus can do and we see the impossible rather than the probable. And Jesus, he, look at verse number 10 and Jesus said, now make the men sit down. So make everybody sit down. There was a step of faith. This was the, you're coming over to my house today. You don't see any food. You don't smell any food. And I say, hey, let's have a seat at the dining room table. And you sit down in anticipation that there's going to be food. And that's what the men are doing now. They're sitting down in anticipation that something is going to happen. And in verse number 11, Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks. And what did Jesus give thanks for? the loaves and the fish that were not enough. But he gave thanks for it, and then he broke it. And he broke it, and he passed it out to his disciples, and the disciples passed it out to the people, which is a picture of the church. And that's what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to, as we are blessed, we're supposed to pass that blessing along. We're not supposed to keep it for ourselves. Imagine if the disciples would have taken that fish and that bread and they thought, well, I don't know if anybody else is going to get some, but I'm going to get some. And so they take it and they put it in their pocket. That's where it would have ended right there. 
but they took that which they received from Jesus and they gave it to somebody else. And then they went back and they got more and they gave it out more and they went back for more and they, and they gave more. And at the end of this, we can see that there were 12 baskets, 12 baskets full of food. What an amazing, amazing miracle. And if you read verse number 14, it says that the people saw this and all of a sudden they wanted to take Jesus and make him the ruler, the king of their world. This has to be the Messiah. And Jesus, he went from them because it was not what he wanted to have happen. And so this is the story this morning. And so there are, there are a couple of things that I want to point out. And if you'll follow along with me, I'll be very quick. But I want you to see a couple of things from this story that hopefully you will be able to apply to your life. Number one, do you see the problem or the possibility? In verse number five, it says, And he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? Philip didn't see the possibility because he became overwhelmed. You ever get overwhelmed in life? You ever have things, it seems like waves, just pushing you down? You get overwhelmed in life, and we don't, in, we don't include God when we become overwhelmed. We're just trying to survive, right? Life gets so difficult, problems come, and the last thing we do is we think, I just need to give this to God. But that is exactly what God wants us to do. When we are overwhelmed, He wants us to give to Him everything that overwhelms us. And how much nicer it is, how much more wonderful it is when we can take our problems and we can say, God, I don't know what to do with them. I don't know how to handle them, but I want you to handle them. And if Philip would have done this, if Philip would have just turned to Jesus and Jesus, I know you're asking me this, but I don't know what to do. And isn't that where our pride gets involved in our lives? We have to admit that we don't have the answer. And I don't know about you, but I always have the answer. Are we going the right direction? Absolutely. It may take us an extra an hour, but we're going the right direction. You know where that restaurant is? Yes. It may take me longer to find it, but we will find it. Hey, Google. I always know what I'm doing because I don't want to admit that I don't know. And if Philip would have just acknowledged the fact that he did not know what he was supposed to do, God could have stepped in. Jesus would have stepped in and said, good, I'm glad you don't and you're coming to me because I know exactly what to do. And we know that that's, this is the story because in verse number six, it said, he said to him to prove him. Jesus asked this question to prove, to test Philip. But Philip didn't know he was in a test. Wouldn't it be nice in life if Jesus would tell you, if you would get a telegram, an email, a text message, hey, Chris, you're about to enter a test. Be aware. All right, I'm ready now. It comes and I'm like, I know what this is. This is a test. This is from God to find out. And oftentimes we think that the test is not a test of faith. We think it's a test of character. Jesus was simply testing Philip's faith. When you are tested, will you turn to God in that testing time and say, God, I don't know what to do, but I know that you do 
will you show me, will you reveal to me what it is that you have for me? In verse number nine, jump down the, the, the next thing is, can you see that what you have is insufficient, but sufficient in God's hands? Andrew said to Jesus, Jesus, this is all we have. And it is amazing. As you begin reading and studying this passage and you read what other people have, there are people that actually believe that this was not a miracle at all. They believe that people saw this little boy being willing to give his lunch. And so they then became generous because they saw a little boy give their lunch and everybody just shared everything. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that what they had was insufficient, but when they gave it to the Savior, it was sufficient. When you realize that you are insufficient, but that He is sufficient, you can get through any testing, any problem, any difficulty that you have. When you realize that what you have, if you've ever looked at your checkbook, if you've ever looked at your bank statement and you said, I do not know how we're going to make it this month. I don't know how we're going to pay the bills. God, I need you to multiply like you did with the 5,000. And somehow, I think that we can give testimony around this room this morning of people that would say, there was a time in my life when I didn't know how I was going to make it, but somehow what I had became sufficient. When we begin to allow that to be our testimony, we lend faith to people through our testimonies. Do you realize this morning as you testify of what God has done in your life, you are lending your faith to somebody else that is going through a problem that's trying to ask God, God, will I make it through this? And they hear your testimony and they see your faith and they say, if they can do it, I can do it. I read a story about a, a missionary. His name was, last name was Patton, John Patton. He was in the New Hebrides Islands. And I read the story as a kid, and I always have remembered this and thought, if I ever really get into a bind, I pray God is there for me like he was for John Patton. If you've ever read the story of John Patton, you know that he went to the New Hebrides Islands, and that was an island of cannibals. And in that island of cannibals, one night, he had gotten word that they were coming for his family. They had warned him. They had told him to leave. He did not leave. He believed God called him there. And they said, we're coming for you tonight. So that night he heard the drum beats in the distance and he and his wife and his kids began to pray on the floor of their home, begging God to, to rescue them. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and all night the drum beats. And in the morning the drum beats went away and they survived that night. The next night they heard the drum beats again. They began to pray and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And, they prayed and eventually those drum beats in the morning time went away. And the drums never came again. About a year later, the chief of the tribe that said they were coming to get John Patton received Christ as his Savior. And John Patton asked that man, he said, why did you not come for us? You said you were, you were there. Why did you not come? He said, because of all the tall, shining men that were standing around your house, they would not let us in. 
And John Patton said, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, you had men stationed around your house. He said, no. But they were praying, and he believes that it was angels that surrounded their home. They survived, and they told that story to their death. Their faith allows me to loan from them, to borrow from them. If you have a testimony of God's goodness in your life, are you telling it? Are you sharing with people about what God is doing in your life, what God has done in your life, how God has provided, how God has blessed, what he's doing? It is important for us not to see what we have as insufficient, but sufficient in God's hands. In verse number 11, we see our next thing. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks. In one of the other passages, it says that he broke it, and he passed it out to his disciples. Brokenness always precedes blessedness. Do you know some of the best people to be around are people whose lives have been broken? Why? Because God has come in and he has rescued their life. He has brought them back to health. He has salvaged them. And so if you are going through a time where you are in a breaking time right now, be prepared because God is going to bless you. That's not this prosperity gospel. This is a time where God can step in and God can nurture your soul and he can be to you what you need him to be. He can provide for you. He can meet your needs. He can be a father to the fatherless. Jesus wants to step in. God wants to step in, and he wants to bless you. And we need to see that we need to give thanks for that, which we think is not enough, and watch what God will do. Lastly, in verse number 13, and I want you to see this because this kind of blew my mind a little bit. A lot of people equate this in... John chapter 6, verse 13, with the blessings of God and how much can God bless. And on this mountain, they often equate this to the time when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. And they were complaining about the manna, the miracles that God provided every day. The people were complaining about the miracles. And God said, fine, I'll give them quail. They want meat? I'll give them meat. And so God said, be prepared, it is coming. And he sent Quail. And the Bible says that when the quail fell, it was two cubits high. That's three feet. So imagine birds falling from the sky that are three feet high. And they said that from the center, it is a one, one day walk in any direction, one day walk in any direction, three feet high. Just so you get a picture of what God can do, that is like if we are standing here in Monclova, it is from Sylvania to Bowling Green, to Oregon, to Delta. Three feet high worth of quail. That is what God can do when we go to God and say, God, we have a need, we need you to answer. God can step in and apply exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ask or ever think. So why is it we don't go to God? This little boy here, and this is the part that, that this is not in the Bible, so a lot of people surmise or guess what they do with these 12 baskets of food. And you've probably heard many of these things. Some of them were that the disciples, they gathered up so that none would be left, and they gave it away to those who were needy. 
Bible doesn't say that. There are some that say that there were 12 baskets left because there were 12 disciples. And so is God saying to them, Jesus saying to them, see, I will provide not only what everybody needs over and abundant, but I'm going to let you walk away with something just to stick it in your head and let you remind yourself that I am able. That's not in the Bible either. And so here's what I believe happened, which is also not in the Bible. But I like this a whole lot better. This little boy shows up because he hears what Jesus can do. You ever had your son or your daughter excited, or maybe your husband or your wife excited about the next day? Like, you, it, is it time yet? They wake up at one o'clock in the morning. If you're like me and you have something that, that you really want to do, you wake up every hour throughout the night. Like, is it time? Is it time? Did I miss my alarm? Is it time? Is it time? And this little boy, I am sure his mom sent him to this day, and he was so excited because he was going to see this man named Jesus. He had heard what Jesus could do. He had, he had heard the things that Jesus did, but he was going to see him himself. And so that day, this boy, he grabbed his lunch and his mom, we know that they were a poor family because barley was only used for poor people or for animals. It was not for wealthy people. So he had five barley loaves in his, in his bag and two little dried out fish. These weren't the fish that if you go to Red Lobster and order a fish, it wasn't that kind of fish. It was a little dried out sardine or something like that, just a very small little fish. And this boy had his bag and he was so excited because today he is going to go see Jesus. Wouldn't you be excited if tomorrow Jesus was going to be here and you knew it? Hey, guess what? Jesus is going to be here tomorrow. Y'all come. You're all like, you're an idiot. If we believed it, we would show up. I mean, we would be early. We would be waiting for those doors to open. We could not wait. And so here's this little boy, and he is waiting for Jesus. And all of a sudden, one of the disciples, one of the disciples, like one of the disciples talked to me. He asked me a question. He came to me and he asked me if I had any food. And I said, yes, I have my lunch. He said, hey, come here for a second. I want to take you to Jesus. This is my ticket to go see Jesus. I'm going to go. I'm not going to stand back here in the back of the crowd. I get to go to the front of the crowd and I get to see Jesus because I brought my lunch and you all didn't. And Andrew takes him right up to the front and says, Jesus, here's a little kid with a lunch. It ain't enough for all of us, but just so you understand that there is some food here, I know that we can't do anything with it, but this little kid, he, he brought a lunch. And Jesus is like, hey, come here. Can I borrow your lunch? I promise if you let me borrow your lunch, you won't go hungry. I promise. So Jesus does his miracle, and he tells his disciples, you guys who don't get it, go pick up the leftovers. Not the stuff people have bitten into, the leftovers, the stuff that's sitting around that people haven't eaten, pick up the leftovers and bring them back here. All right. Disciples go pick up the leftovers. They get 12 baskets of leftovers. They bring them back to Jesus, and Jesus brings that little boy, and he goes, hey, come here. I know you're not super wealthy like everybody else. But guess what I'm going to do just for you? While nobody was looking, I made a little wagon. And we're going to pile 
the 12 baskets on the wagon. And I want you to pull this home to your mom and tell her, this is going to be awesome, tell her that Jesus did this with your lunch. Can you do that? Yes, I can tell my mom. And that boy pulled that wagon home with those 12 baskets of food on there. And he knocks on the door, standing there with his big wagon and piles of food. He's smiling at his mom. And his mom said, where did you get that food? Did you steal food, son? No, Jesus did it. Come here, let's go talk to Jesus. I think that little boy's faith to give his lunch, Jesus said, you know what? I'm going to do something special for you today. This morning, my question is this. What do you have in your bag that you need to give to Jesus? What is it that you pick up every day and you look at and you go, man, I wish this was more. I wish... I wish I had more to meet the needs that I have. And you just keep staring at the bag. And it's time to give the bag to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I can't do anything else with this, but I know that you can. What do you have? What talent? What ability? What gift? What money do you have that, you, that God has been impressing upon your heart? You need to be a blessing to that person. You've got 12 baskets full. You need to be a blessing to that person. And we refuse because we think I need to save that for a rainy day but God, you don't understand the things that I'm going through. And God is saying, I know exactly what you're going through, but I need you to be a blessing. I need you to give your lunch because I'm going to do so much more for you. What are you holding on to? What is in that bag that you need to give to Jesus? If you've lived your life and you have testimonies of God's grace and God's blessing and God's mercy upon your life, are you telling those testimonies? Are you rejoicing with the people around you, not bragging about what God did in your life, but bragging about what God can do? Are you telling people what God can do in your life? And then lastly, if God has provided abundantly for you, are you blessing that? Are you using that to bless other people? Jesus said, pick up the remnants so that nothing is wasted. We need to pick up the remnants in our life so that nothing is wasted and bless the people around us.